0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Whedon, Illinois. Good morning, you can have a seat. It's really nice to see all of you. I mean that every time I say it, and I really mean it today. I had pictures this week as I looked at the forecast of preaching this sermon to like two people, so I'm really glad you're here. Uh, We're gonna look at our Gospel passage from the Gospel of Mark this morning, so I invite you to open your Bibles now to Mark 1. Uh, You can use the the Pew Bibles that you can find in the racks in front of you, um, and you'll find the passage this morning on page 836. 836. So let me start with a question. Do we have any Johnny Cash fans in the room? All right, there we go. Awesome. Um, I admit that I am not an expert on the music of Johnny Cash. Yes, I have tried to entertain my family in the past by doing a subpar impression of his singing voice. Yes, I'm aware of some of his more uh, well-known songs, I Walk the Line, Ring of Fire, uh, The Man Comes Around, all good songs. So I knew some of his greatest hits. But then my wife, Jana, gave me this book for my birthday. The title is Trains, Jesus, and Murder, (laughs) The Gospel According to Johnny Cash by Richard Beck. Um, It's a really, really good book. Uh, Beck tells an amazing narrative of the life, the faith, and the music of Johnny Cash. And I think this title um, captures the juxtaposition that was Johnny Cash. He was a complicated person. He had a very, very strong Christian faith, and he had a very, very messy personal life. And then How do you begin to define the music of Johnny Cash? Uh, Was it country western? Was it rock and roll? Was it folk music? Was it protest music? Was it gospel music? I think the answer to those questions are yes, to all those things. So after I read this book, I just had to dive in a little deeper and listen to more of Johnny Cash's music. And there's just something so real and so stirring about Johnny Cash's music. First of all, of course, it might just be that um, signature baritone-based voice he's got. But I think it's also uh, so stirring his often very thoughtful lyrics and his often um, what you might call gritty lyrics that you hear in his music. And the most compelling album that I discovered after reading the book was his 1968 release titled At Folsom Prison which Cash recorded live with his band in front of 1,000 inmates at a maximum security prison. Johnny Cash had a passion for prison reform. And over the course of his career, he performed over 30 free live concerts within the walls of prisons. And At Folsom Prison is this really gritty album You can hear the prisoners whooping and cheering, and at times you'll actually hear the warden make an announcement and they'll all start booing him. And the music is deeply connecting with them because Cash sings a ton of songs, several of them original, about what it's like to live in prison, including an original song that he wrote for that concert with the title Folsom Prison Blues. I hear the train a-comin'. It's rollin' round the bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps draggin' on, but that train keeps a-rollin' on down to San Antone." I'm not going to continue because uh, the lyrics get really gritty after that, so I'll leave you to decide if you want to hear the rest of it. But the fact that Johnny Cash came into the prison The fact that he wrote a song in the first person about the lives of these prisoners, it created this powerful bond between him and his audience, and you can literally hear it on the recording. Cash later said that after he sang Folsom Prison Blues, quote, the prisoners felt kind of like I was one of them. Cash's actions, his Music that he wrote and sang expressed a love for these prisoners, and they loved him in return. So listening to that album gave me just like a a tiny little picture or representation of what it is that we celebrate in the season of Epiphany, that God's love came to us in the person of Jesus, that the eternal Son of God entered our world forever bonding himself to us by becoming one of us and by entering into the prison of our own sins. You heard that passage in Isaiah where the Lord talks about freeing prisoners from the prison. Because, of course, when Jesus entered into our prison, he entered with the power to transform us and to save us from our prison. So did you know that the season of Epiphany is the second oldest season in the church calendar? Um, The only one that came before it is the season of Holy Week and Easter. Epiphany was observed even before Christmas was as the celebration of the incarnation of God becoming man. And that's because in Epiphany, which literally means revelation, it is revealed to us why Jesus came, why he humbled himself and became one of us. And today is the Feast of the Baptism of Jesus, on which we always celebrate here at the beginning of Epiphany. And one of the ways we celebrate is by celebrating baptisms, which we're going to do in just a few minutes, because this, dis- this displays the inherent bond between Jesus' baptism and our baptism. So there's actually not a lot of moments in the life and ministry of Jesus that's recorded by all four of the Gospel writers. But each one of them begins the story of Jesus' earthly ministry with the story of his baptism. You'll remember that Matthew and Luke start with like two chapters of introduction on the birth and the childhood of Jesus. And then they go to the baptism of Jesus. And um, John and Mark both essentially start their Gospel stories right here at the baptism of Jesus. And at the same time, it's kind of curious that all four versions of this story are incredibly short. You can see in our passage from Mark this morning that he only has three verses on the baptism of Jesus. It's also kind of curious, isn't it, that Jesus, he who never sinned, comes forward to John the Baptist to receive what John the Baptist has just referred to in verse 4 as a baptism of repentance. So there's an important reason for both these things. You see, Jesus' baptism was the inauguration of his earthly ministry and his mission. It was also, though, the perfect picture of what that mission was going to look like. So the gospel writers let that simple but powerful picture speak for itself because they know that the details and the meaning come in the story that follows in the rest of the Gospel. So as Jesus steps into the Jordan to willingly take upon himself a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, so will he take upon himself the sins of the world down into the grave. Later in Mark's Gospel, Jesus actually refers to his coming passion as his baptism. And just as Jesus rises up from the waters here at his baptism, so too will he rise victorious from that baptism. And after he rises, there will be a descent of the Holy Spirit, just like we see here in our passage. And so Jesus will accomplish a renewed union between heaven and earth, a renewed union between God and man, which we also get a glimpse of in this baptism as the heavens open up And the Father speaks. So Jesus' baptism proclaims that he became man, that he entered our broken and sinful world to save us and to reconcile us to God. We have a lot of amazing theologians here at Church of the Resurrection. And one of those is our beloved deacon, Dr. John Clark. And in his book, The Incarnation of God, Dr. Clark says this, God and man, long alienated, have been brought together, reconciled in the person of Christ. God has made the body of our Lord the place where God and man meet. So Jesus' baptism reveals his mission to reconcile us to God. And everything that Jesus has done, he has done for us. And then Scripture tells us that we have been baptized into Christ. And so everything that the Father gives to the Son, he now gives to us. And what's really powerful is how Jesus' own baptism points to the gifts that we indeed receive in our baptism. So with just the remaining few minutes we have, I want to have us simply call to remembrance the life-transforming gifts that we have received through Jesus in our own baptism. And they're all right there in our passage from Mark, in those three little verses. The first gift we see in verse 9. In our baptism, we receive the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus' baptism proclaims, that he has entered into the depths of our sins, that he has taken them upon himself, and he has taken them into the grave. It also proclaims that he has risen again in victory over sin and death. And as Jesus rises, he rises up, raises us up with him to new life in him. So you have received full and complete forgiveness through the life through the death and through the resurrection of Jesus. And you are free. You are free from the penalty. You are free from the shame. And you are free from the power that sin once had over you. And then in verse 10, the second gift of our baptism is that we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mark writes that Jesus came up out of the water and the curtain is pulled back And the Spirit of God descends upon Jesus and rests upon him. And that same Spirit that descended upon Jesus at his baptism is also given to us in ours. You have received the very presence of the Lord, who is with you now at all times. You're never alone. You have a Spirit within you. He's there to comfort you, to help you, and to guide you in all things. And then the third gift, in verse 11, in our baptism, we have received adoption as sons and as daughters. The Father's voice speaks from heaven, proclaiming who Jesus is, who Jesus has always been. You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. In your baptism into christ the father speaks the same words over you you are my beloved daughter with whom i am well pleased you are my beloved son with whom i am well pleased you've been baptized into christ and just as the relationship between the father and the son will be everlasting so now Will your relationship with the Lord be everlasting? In the baptisms we're going to see in just a few minutes, you're going to hear Father Brett pray these words as he anoints the candidates after their baptism. You are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. And here's the bonus in your sonship, in your daughtership with the Father. There's also a family, sometimes a little crazy but wonderful, that comes with your relationship with the Father, brothers and sisters who will walk alongside you. You've received so much, so many life-transforming gifts in your baptism. And at the same time, it can be easy to forget about these gifts. So last week, Jen and I were talking and we were reflecting back on 2023 and everything that happened. And she told me, she said, I've been taking some time in prayer to thank the Lord for the specific things that he provided in the last year. And she started naming some of those provisions we experienced in 2023. Things I had totally forgotten about, things that I don't know that I'd ever thought about. Um, And it stirred up in me remembering things that the lord had provided for us just in the last year moments of financial provision moments of guidance on what to do or say in really difficult circumstances moments of protection and of healing from illnesses moments where friends and family who cared for us and loved us came around us moments of deep consolation in prayer and in scripture just to name a few of the provisions we experienced from the Lord last year. And that simple exercise reminded me, the Lord has been incredibly faithful. And it hit me, where would we be if he had not provided those things for us? And how much more these foundational gifts that we have all received in our baptism, where would you be Where would you be right now without the forgiveness and the freedom from sin that you have received in Jesus? Where would you be without the Lord beside you, his presence with you through difficult seasons in the power of his Holy Spirit, there to comfort and guide you, there to console you in his consoling presence in your life of prayer and scripture? Where would you be without... The everlasting security of your relationship with him. Where would you be without your family, the church? This morning, as I was walking to line up for the procession before the first service, my friend Jeff, who gave me permission to share this story, told me he is celebrating this morning six years of freedom from substance abuse. Praise the Lord. And Jeff was just so excited to tell me about that, and what he said to me was, six years ago is when the Lord gave me a purpose and a mission for my life. So maybe one of those questions will help renew your sense of thanksgiving for what you have received in your baptism into Jesus. Because Jesus came into the world with the power to transform and save it. He came with the power to transform and save each of us. And that's what we've received in our baptism. So if you're here this morning and you're not yet a baptized follower of Jesus, perhaps you come with a deep sense of need or longing for one of these gifts. Forgiveness and freedom from your sin the presence of God's own Spirit, the love of a heavenly Father and a church family who's ready to walk alongside you. Well, you've come to a room full of people whose lives have been utterly transformed by the love of Jesus. And the best part is, if you'd like to, you're invited to join this family. The same gifts that we've received in our baptism are fully available to you as well. And later in the service, as we always do during the distribution of communion, we're going to have prayer ministers on both sides of this room. And they would love to pray for you. If you have a longing, a desire for any of these gifts, if you feel like perhaps you are somewhere on a journey towards Jesus this morning, one of our prayer ministers would love to pray for you. And family of God, as we now prepare to celebrate the sacrament of baptism of those who are being baptized into Jesus this very morning, may our hearts be filled with thanksgiving for the life-transforming gifts we have received in our baptism from the Father, through the Son, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.